Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Uh, as the video suggested, we just started a brand new series last week uh, called Back to the Table. And if you are joining us for the first time, or maybe you weren't here last week, uh, let me do my best to catch up to speed so that we all have the same foundation as we get started today. Um, we are talking about this centerpiece, this incredibly important space in Scripture called the table. Uh, if you read through the Word of God cover to cover, however long that might take you, you will find that there are a number of tables mentioned in Scripture, and often those tables represent a place of safety, a place, a place of solidarity, of intimacy, and belonging, and true community, and family, and the table has always been a pretty massive deal throughout the scriptures. If someone were to invite you in the ancient Hebraic context to their home for dinner, to sit around their table, it was no small or insignificant gesture. It was, it was a really big deal because they were inviting you not just into their home, but they were inviting you into their life and into their family. And so as a result of this, this centerpiece in scripture, we know that the table has always been a very, a very big deal to God. And it's always been a pretty big deal to the, the people of faith as well. However, as we suggested last weekend, um, the result of the last 18 months, all that we've experienced in unrest and pandemic and go down the list, it seems as though the, the table, that sacred space, has been marginalized a bit. Many are neglecting it, rejecting it, intentionally avoiding it. People don't want to gather around it any longer. Uh, and thus, the invitation to this series, the invitation suggested by the title, to come back to the table, to come back and sit around with some other believers. And of course, we mentioned again last weekend that the, the table is both uh, symbolic and literal. We're not just talking about a you know, wooden rectangle or a, a marble oval, or I made fun of the college students last week, uh, an Ikea particle board fashion table, whatever it is that you eat around in the evening. We're not just talking about that. The table is simply any space where you gather with other people for the intention of relationship, to, to get really serious about getting intimate with one another and, and sharing life. It's where we go from rows in a room like this to circles intentionally. We look people in the eye instead of just looking in one direction where we are known and we truly know one another, where we walk through life and we struggle with one another and, and we celebrate when things are good. And it's just this really intentional space of relationship. And thus the table can, yes, be beneath the chandelier with a bunch of place settings, uh, but it can also be at the beach or it can be at a park, it could be on a hike, it could be at a coffee shop. It's, it's simply any space where we, as followers of Jesus, are intentional about sitting in circles and sharing life with one another. And, and I, I shared last weekend that the goal of this series is simple. I don't want to be cryptic about it. I want to be 100% obvious so that all of us know what the practical application to these sermons are. I want every person that calls the Father's House their home church to find a table to sit at. Everybody to be sitting in circles. Uh, the way that we go from strangers in a room like this to family, which is one of our massive values around here, is to sit in circles, is to sit at tables. And the most practical way we do that here at the Father's House is through groups. We've mentioned for the last couple of weeks that our group season is upon us. We just launched this last week for fall. Many of you I know are already in groups and you're experiencing the life that is found in those, but many are not. And, and I wanna invite you, if you have yet to step into that space, if, if this is just a Sunday thing for you, I wanna encourage you to take that next step and to get plugged into a genuine community of people that will walk through life with you. Uh, you can go to the website, uh, tfh.church slash groups, which by the way, I saw our bus ads again this week. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. I literally chased a bus at like 11 o'clock at night because I'm like, I will get a video of this and Michelle will post me on our Instagram. Like I just, 
I wanted to see it. But uh, you can go to the website and check that out, or you can go on the app and you can browse through all of the available groups. Um, but I also know that there's a lot of people here that have been following Jesus for a little bit of time, and maybe you have the capacity to welcome some people around your table, and we'd love to talk to you about that as well. If, if the Lord would put that on your heart to open up your space and, and to host a group, uh, my wife and Michelle would uh, get back to you this week. We'd love to talk about that and create more space for more people to sit around a table together. Amen? Uh, so I also mentioned last week that every uh, weekend, every Sunday, you're going to have an opportunity to hear from some people in our community who have experienced the life that is found in those settings at a table. And last week we had the opportunity to catch a video from Richard and Juanita Seikau and a powerful story about them experiencing community and then creating that space for others. Uh, and today we had a video planned for this morning, um, but I asked for permission if I could to uh, postpone that until next weekend and take an opportunity this morning to look everybody here in the face, and maybe even a camera in the face there, and, and talk about my own personal story as a result of everything that's happened in the last seven days in my life and the power of the table that I've experienced and my family's experienced. And I will do my best to hold it together as I say this. Um, many of you know that the last seven days have been um, incredibly challenging for our family. On Monday night at 9.30 in the evening, my oldest daughter, Ellie, uh, walked out of her bedroom and she came over to my wife and I and uh, as, as we saw her there in the hallway, uh, her entire body was yellow. It was completely jaundiced. Her eyes were yellow. And for those of you who know what that means in medical terms, it was rather, rather alarming. And uh, so my wife immediately threw her in the car and went off to the ER. And over the course of the next 24 hours, they ran a number of tests uh, and ultimately it was determined that she needed to undergo two separate surgeries uh, this week. Um, one to remove some stones from her liver, and then a second surgery to remove her spleen and her gallbladder, uh, which is a lot for a 10-year-old kid. It's a lot for anybody for that matter. Uh, and so needless to say, my wife and I have spent a lot of time in a hospital over the last seven days. Um, by the way, if the sermon is horrible, it's because I prepared it in a hospital all week. <laughs> Not generally the atmosphere of faith I look to study and like, all right, code blues, people are dying. What's the Lord saying? You know, that's not how we do it. Um, but uh, I actually just got a text message from my wife right before this service started. And uh, she told me that um, as soon as church is over, uh, I will get to go drive to Oakland and pick her and my daughter up and finally bring the two of them home so that she can recover at the house. Hallelujah. I can take these stupid bracelets off and not go back to the hospital anymore. It's actually because I was at a water slide park all week. I was just hanging out there. Whatever in the hospital. Uh, but I mentioned last weekend um, that like many of us, when we moved to the city, uh, we experienced what all of us have experienced to some degree, that idea that we are surrounded by humans, but we were completely alone. We didn't really know anybody. No one knew us. We didn't know anyone. And in that isolation, in the crucible of isolation, I said that our mission was crystallized, that we knew that God had called us to the city, not just to build a church, but to build a family and a family that would not let anybody live life alone. What I didn't realize was that 24 hours after I made that statement, I was going to experience the reality of those words. Uh, within hours of people discovering that my wife and daughter were in the hospital, I had people reaching out to me all night long, text message, phone call, praying through the night, refusing to sleep until there were some answers. The next morning, I had some of my closest friends drop a car off at the front of my house so that I could drive to and from the hospital because my wife and I have got one vehicle and she had it over in Oakland. Um, a number of people, dozens of people said that they were going to fast and pray. They weren't gonna eat until there was clarity about Ellie's condition. 
Some of those, and this is part that messes me up, some of those are kids, eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds that know my kids from church here that said, I'm not gonna put food in my mouth until they find out what's going on with Ellie. I had so many people reach out and offer to clean my house, to fold my clothes, assuming that I was a man and didn't know how to do any of those things. Uh, people who sent gift cards and food and someone who literally drove to the hospital every single day to deliver coffee to my wife and I. Glorious coffee services, as we called it. <laughs> um, just, I mean, moment after moment after moment, hundreds of people saying, whatever you guys need, we're, we're here for it. Whatever you need, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna take care of you guys. And it dawned on me a number of times over the last seven days that three years ago, I didn't know any of these people. I didn't know these folks who were delivering coffee and offering food and willing to come to my house and clean things up and take care of my daughter, my other daughter, while her sister was in the hospital. I didn't know any of these people. But in three years, strangers became family. And that doesn't happen just because we attend the same church. That doesn't happen because we got our logo on the same building that we show up to on a Sunday. That happens when you truly live life with one another when you're intentional about becoming a family. I do not want to know what it would feel like to walk through a season like that without our community. I don't wanna know what prayers wouldn't have been answered if there weren't hundreds of people contending for my daughter. I don't, I'm not interested in finding out what that feels like. I know that I probably could have gotten somebody else to, to preach for me today. In fact, many people offered to do that. But, but I wanted this moment. I wanted a moment to look our community in the eyes and say, I have been the beneficiary of a table and I am humbled to be a part of a community of people that refused to let us go through crisis alone, that walked through some dark moments, that stayed up at night, that fasted with us, that did whatever it would take to make sure that our family knew that we were not alone during the last week. So from the bottom of our hearts to every single one of you and those that might be watching, thank you, thank you, thank you for being the community that you are. It is an honor to walk in this community. All right, get it together, we gotta preach, we gotta preach, okay. <laughs> I get to be happy now, my kid's coming home. Hallelujah, all right. So as we started the series last weekend, we discussed the fact that all of us have been carried to a table. We looked at a guy by the name of Mephibosheth who was broken and ashamed and he was living in isolation. And in his isolation, the king who represented the heart of God sent his servant to go chase Mephibosheth down and to literally pick him up and carry him on his shoulders so that he could be seated among the royalty at the king's table, among the brothers and sisters. And we determined that while that yes is a story from history past, it actually points to a much greater story, one that all of us have experienced, where when we were broken and when we were ashamed and when we were living in isolation and no one knew we were there, that the father sent his suffering servant, the son, Jesus, so that we could be chased down so that we could be found and carried upon his shoulders and sat at a table among the brothers and sisters of Christ, a place that we didn't think we belonged, but there was a chair reserved for us all along. Today, as we continue on in this series, we're going to look at another table, we're going to look at another servant, 
And we're gonna look at another guest list of people that got invited, only the application is gonna be a little bit different depending on what season of life you might find yourself in uh, in the building this morning. Um, if you have a Bible, open up to the book of Luke chapter 14. And as we go there, uh, let me offer a little backdrop for you. Jesus here has just been invited to somebody's house for dinner. And as he sits down at the dinner table and he looks around, he notices that there are a number of people that should be at the table that are not at the table. And so in response, Jesus does what he usually does. He stops and he begins to tell a story, a parable. And in this story, he displays his heart for who he believes belongs at the table. Uh, the story goes like this in Luke chapter 14, verse 16. Jesus says, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet's ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I just bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come over. <laughs> oh, I love that one. Uh, the servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious, and he said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the service had, servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more people. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. Can we all repeat those last words together? So that the house will be full. A full house. DJ, Danny Tanner, Stephanie, Uncle Jesse, Uncle Joey, a full house. They are all there. I love this parable. This is actually one of my favorite parables in scripture. It's been one of the greatest inspirations in my life. Um, when Robin and I were youth pastors for many years at our previous church, um, this parable inspired a, a mantra, a statement, a, a life focus, if you will, that we begin to instill in the hearts of all of our students. We preached about it. We taught about it. Uh, back when hashtags were cool, we posted about it with a hashtag, uh, which, by the way, I found out that hashtag is not the official name for that. I learned this week in the many hours of binging and television in my daughter's hospital room that that's actually called an octothorpe, okay? If anyone's interested, I sew that into your ministry today, an octothorpe. So in the name of nostalgia, I'm going to offer you the octothorpe that we used in our youth ministry for many years, and it will serve as the title for the sermon today. Uh, we're gonna call this one hashtag octothorpe, fill the house, fill the house. Now, when we told our students that that was our theme, our, our messaging was really clear. We said, the reason we're called to fill the house is because every empty chair in the room has a name on it. We wanted everyone to look at every empty chair as an opportunity, to see the empty chair as already being reserved for somebody else. See, I told our kids, the church was never supposed to be like the movie theaters, right? You're not supposed to walk into church and go like, sweet, the place is empty. Like, I can put my popcorn down here. I can put my feet up on the chair in front of me. People get excited when they walk into empty theaters. We're not supposed to be excited about empty churches. Why? Because every seat represents a soul. Every seat represents a person that Jesus gave his life for, and they may not have made their way in yet, but empty seats are unacceptable in church. And so we encouraged our students to be the invitation, to, to bring everyone that they knew so that the house would be full. That was the heart of God. Now, it's one thing to teach about that. It's an entirely different thing when you have to embody it yourself. And I will never forget the day where I had the opportunity to practice what I preached when it came to filling the house. And small disclaimer, um, if, if I, I don't think I've told this story before on a Sunday, 
Um, I, I might have told it during one of our preview services, but I couldn't remember, and it's been a long week, so just give me a break if you've already heard this before. Uh, but I could not find a better story to illustrate this thought. So when we were youth pastors, um, we were responsible for three different campuses for our church, uh, the Vacaville campus, Napa, Napa campus, and Walnut Creek campus. And during our tenure, uh, we were required to launch youth ministries at both Napa and the East Bay campus. And uh, the, the, the East Bay one was cool. Walnut Creek, a bunch of cool kids, you know, a, a lot of normal ones. And Napa, <sighs> like, I feel like the people we collected were just a bunch of, like, homeschool squares, like, you know, just really, like, no offense to anyone homeschooled, except for maybe appropriate offense to all that are homeschooled. But, like, we gathered all these kids, and I'm like, none of these guys are cool. And, and so for the first few weeks, I was like, I'm grateful for what we got, but man, I wanted some like rough around the edges kids, not some pre-safe people that just came from another church. I wanted like those kids that you had to tell to put out a cigarette on the front porch or like quit cussing out people in the parking lot. Like that's what I long for. That's why I love our church here at the Father's house. Hallelujah. We just a bunch of messed up people trying to serve Jesus together. Amen. So a couple of months passed after we launched the, the campus and we had in, uh, installed some youth pastors and they invited me to come back and preach. And so I show up on, the, on a Wednesday night and about halfway through worship, I'm looking around and I'm like, I know every single kid in this room right now. I, I know every name, I know every person. There's not a single new soul among us. And I started to get frustrated. And so I, I leaned over to my wife and I said, hey, I gotta go, I'll be back, but I, I just, I gotta go. And she's like, what do you mean you have to go? You have to preach in a couple minutes. And I'm like, we'll figure it out. Just stall the service if I'm not back in time, but I, I just have to go. And she's like, okay. So I get into the car and I drive over to this skate park in Napa that was next to a coffee shop that I had been studying at earlier. And I had seen a bunch of, of students there that were just hanging out at the skate park, some cool ones. And, and my thought was, I'm gonna go get these cool kids to come hang out at our youth ministry. So I pull up and I walk up to the skate park and you know, I'm trying, I'm, a little older, but I'm trying to you know, like walk with some swag, you know, like I don't even know how to do it. <laughs> and I walk up to this group of kids. I'm like, hey, what's up? Yeah. And I'm like, hey, guys, um, I, I, I got some pizzas down the road and like some two liters of soda. And um, now why don't you guys get in my car and like, I'm going to take you down the street and, and we, we get you some pizza. And I can see like the wheels turning, like my mom told me about this dude, stranger danger, stranger danger, like no. So they're kind of looking at me like, no, nah, I'm good, man. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not like that. I'm, 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 I'm totally normal guy. Um, I'm a youth pastor and I mean, we, got, we got a youth ministry down the street and all of our kids are lame and I need some cool kids. So like, would you guys come and be a part of our youth ministry? And like, there's a kid out there trying to skateboard and you could probably teach him something because he don't know what he's doing, you know, and just trying to like get on the same level. Uh, needless to say, they were disinclined to acquiesce to my request. And so I realized I had made a grave error and I tucked tail and I turned around to go back to my car, also known as a van with no windows. And uh, <laughs> as I turn around, I hear this dude call out from the distance. He's like, hey, Pastor Tim. And I turn around and I see this guy on like a BMX bike and he's like the king of the skate park. Everyone knows who he is. And, and I didn't know who he was. So, I, you know, I did that thing. Where I'm like, hey, you guy, <laughs> you know, he's like, I know you don't know me, man, but um, I just saw you preach a couple of weeks ago at church and I gave my life to Jesus and man, uh, it's so cool to meet you. Um, what are you doing here? <laughs> like, well, I was trying to get a bunch of minors to get in my car and, uh, you know, go down the street to give them pizza. Uh, I said, no, man, I, I, 
I'm, I'm a youth pastor and I'm trying to get all these guys to join me for, for a youth night. We, we got all these students down the street and I'm just trying to get some cool people there, you know, just kind of even out the balance of power a little bit in the ministry. And, but they aren't interested, you know, they're looking at me like I'm crazy. And he looks at all these kids. He's like, yo, if Pastor Tim says we're going to youth tonight, then we're going to youth tonight. And so he loads all these skaters in the back of his truck because they would not get in a car with me. And, <laughs> and he drives them a mile down the street and I hand each of them their own Little Caesars pizza as they're walking into the door and a two liter of soda. And right as the service is transitioning, the back doors of the sanctuary open and it was like slow motion with wind, you know. All the homeschool kids turn around like, what? And I'm walking in with my motley crew of skaters as we get into the house, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> But, but I opened up the sermon that night with this statement. I said, let me tell you why the most important chair in the room is the empty one. The most important chair is the one that should be occupied by some people that are not here yet. Now, should I have invited a bunch of minors to get into my car with the promise of pizza? Probably not. Could I have been arrested? Potentially. But when I look at this parable, when I see the heart of Jesus displayed in this parable, I feel like he and I are kind of on the same level. Because when Jesus looks at a room of people or a table where there's some empty chairs, he gets frustrated. He begins to think there are some people at a skate park, down the road, in the ditch that need to be at this table. And I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get them here. So for the next couple of moments, we're going to look at this parable, and, and I'm going to ask you a question. We've said this many times before, but uh, anytime you see a parable in Scripture, there's a purpose for it. A parable is a fictional story that displays a spiritual truth. Jesus used them all the time when he taught. And the purpose of every parable is to provoke this question in your heart. Who am I in this story? Who am I in this text? And I want us to, to consider that question for the next couple of moments. Who might I be in this story? And before you start picking characters, let me take one off the table because there's one that you're not allowed to be. Uh, Jesus shares just prior to this parable in verse 13 that he is in fact the master of the banquet. He's the one throwing the party. So you might be able to throw a rager, but I'm sorry, that one's already taken. That's on Jesus. So there's three other options that are available to you to choose from. Option number one is the lame excuse guest. People who said, oh, this is why I can't come to the party. Option number two is the servant. Option number three is the replacement guest. I pose to you that everyone in this room probably falls into one of those three categories. So let's start with the first one, with the lame excuse guy. The master tells the servant that the party is ready, the table has been set, go out and get everybody who we've invited. So the servant goes out, and as he begins to deliver this information to all of the invited guests, a number of them offer up some excuses as to why they can't come to the event. Theologians tell us that every single one of these excuses is a lame excuse. In fact, they go as far as to say that they are a complete and total lie. It's like that friend that you text and you're like, hey, you wanna hang out? And they agree. And then when the time comes, they're like, oh, I can't. Uh, my grandma's parrot has to get an x-ray, so I gotta take it to the, you know the excuse isn't real, but like they're trying to give you something to tell you why they can't show up. That's exactly what these excuses are like. The first guy says, hey, I bought a, a plot of land and I haven't looked at it, so I need to go inspect it. It's kind of that buying a house sight unseen like you've seen on some of the house flipping shows on television. In, in this case, that never happened in their culture. It was absolutely 
uh, abnormal for somebody to purchase a piece of property that hadn't first considered, is this going to produce fruit? Is this a good piece of property? Everyone would have inspected their property. The second excuse, the lame one, was, oh, oh, I just bought a pair of oxen, five of them actually, and I need to go try them out. It'd be like buying a car and then test driving it after the fact. Again, not something that would have happened in their culture. Nobody did that, so it would have been a complete and total lie. The third one seems to be the most legitimate of the excuses. I have a wife and she won't let me come to the party. <laughs> Any husbands? No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Okay. <laughs> that was awesome. She just punched you straight in the neck, man. That's cool. It's my bad. Hey, there's a counselor down here. She'll take care of you. <laughs> her and her husband have a couple things to work out, but once they're sorted out, then they'll come take care of y'all. Again, a lame excuse, and here's why. In their culture, honor was a big thing. I'm being a person of your word. And if you said that you were going to be somewhere, there was an expectation that you would be there. And regardless of your family situation, even if something came up, you would be a man of your word. You would show up to where you said you would show up. So all three of these fall into the lame excuse category. Now, again, I'm asking you to consider, are you potentially this character in the story? So we must ask ourselves, what is the application then? Well, if the application is... We give lame excuses so that we don't come to church or we give lame excuses so that we don't come to Jesus, then it would seem as though many of us in the room do not qualify as this particular character for by nature of your being here today and that most of us in the room are already followers of Jesus. Okay, maybe I'm not the lame excuse guy. But as I've said many times before from this stage, following Jesus is not a once a week thing. Following Jesus is not a once in a lifetime decision that you make. Following Jesus is a daily decision that we have to make. And one of the ways that Jesus asks us to follow him is to be fiercely committed to the family of God, to be fiercely committed to our brothers and sisters, to ensure that we are doing whatever it takes to live in community with one another and to not offer up lame excuses that keep us from community. So in light of this series and in light of what we're trying to convey through this series, let me ask you a question as it pertains to community. Have you excused yourself from the table? By that, I mean, have you offered an excuse as to why you cannot be in community with other believers? An excuse that allows you to just be a Sunday attending Christian, but never truly getting involved in the lives of other people. And I know that the excuse might seem legitimate. There's plenty of excuses that we give. They're like, no, this is, this is the real reason. But I promise you, in light of the life and the fulfillment and the growth that is found in community, it's just as lame as any of the excuses that are in this parable. Let me offer up a few common ones. Oh, I, I don't want to do that because, you know, I, I got hurt by Christians in the past. Welcome to the freaking team. <laughs> right? You, you probably also stubbed your toe when you were walking and got hurt, but you didn't stop walking. You probably got dumped before by somebody, but you didn't stop dating. You still did it, even though you got hurt. Welcome to planet Earth, where there's a whole bunch of jacked up people that end up hurting us sometimes, but we're still gonna walk through life together with some other folks, right? Do, do, do not hold your current community hostage to the pain from people in your past. That's not fair to the current, the current folks, and it's not fair to yourself. The community that you desperately need requires you to get over and to forgive what happened in your past so that you can engage once again in community. Or, or how about this one? I, I just don't have time. You know, I was uh, full scheduling. I got a lot going on. You know, I'm in business. You know, I'm in business. I'm in stocks. I got stuff. Okay. 
you got time. Guess what? You got the same number of hours, same number of days every week as everyone else sitting around you right now. Truth is, we have time for what we make time for. Truth is, we have time for the things that we determine are important enough to have time for. And we will build it into our schedules. I, I challenge you to print out that schedule and compare it to some other folks in the room, some people that are running large organizations and there is a high demand on their time. But guess what? They understand the value of community and they've still made it important. I challenge you to compare it with the single mom who's working two jobs and is still trying to figure out a way to raise her kids and make dinner at nighttime, but finds a time to get together with other believers and build community in the evening because she understands how valuable that community is. The truth is you got time for the things that you make time for. And if it's important enough, you'll do it. Or, or how about this one? Uh, I'm scared of COVID. Cool. Put on a freaking mask, man. <laughs> and then go hang out. Like the same way you do when you go to the grocery store and you hang out there with a bunch of people that you don't know. Or the same way you go into a restaurant and you take off your mask. And even though you know the people sitting around your table, you don't know any of the other people sitting around you in the restaurant. But that's a risk that you're willing to take. Why? Because, oh, well, you need food and food is vital to survival. Well, guess what? Community is vital to your survival as well. And if you realize that the risk is worth it in order to be in community, then you'll do whatever you need to do to make yourself available for the family of God. I, I challenge you to give me any excuse that you want to give me. And in comparison to the life and the joy and the growth and the fulfillment and everything else that is available as we submit ourselves to community, it's a lame excuse. So my piece of advice, if we're using the parable as our navigator here is this. If you're making lame excuses to keep you out of community, get out of your field, get off your ox, tell your wife you'll be home at 8.30 and get involved in community, period. Do whatever it takes, amen? Okay. He's edgy today. Okay, I'll be nicer. Number two, the servant. The servant. I, I submit that many of us, in fact, most of us probably fall into the category of the servant today. Back to the parable. Jesus says, I'm throwing an event. I got this banquet. I'm going to set the table, throw out a bunch of great food. And I want some people to be at the party. So servant, you go out and tell everyone they're invited. So the servant goes out and he's like, hey, Jesus, he's throwing this party. He'd love for you to be there. Josh's going to be there. Brian and Tanya are going to be there. There's some hot guys on the porch that are going to be there. <laughs> John and Priscilla are going to be there. Dylan's going to be there. Smarty's going to be like, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. We'd love for you to come to the party. So everyone's like, yeah, 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 I'm going to be there. The day comes, the table's set. Jesus comes into the banquet hall. The music's blasting. It's like, hey, who wants some wine? Give me some water. I'll show you something. You like that? You like that? You like that? That's good. Put that in your pocket, save it for that. Okay, yeah. But he looks around the table and he notices that there's a bunch of empty seats. And he looks at his servant and he's like, yo, I thought we invited all the people. Where, where are the people? You, you told them, right? Yeah, yeah, I told them. You posted about it? Yeah, I posted about it. Okay. Where is everybody? Well, you see, they, they had some excuses. They couldn't make it. And notice what Jesus does not say next. He does not say, you know what? It's all right. I've got some of my community here. I've got some people that showed up, some people that I love, and I'm not going to worry about what I don't have. I, I, I'm just going to be content with who's here right now. Notice he does not say, you know what? There's a nine o'clock service. There's an 11 o'clock service. 
there's a few hundred people at those services and I think we're doing okay. You know, there's a good contingent of the church that's plugged into groups and let's just be satisfied with where we're at and not worry about what we don't have. That's not what he says. He looks around the table. He's like, I can't party like this. I can't celebrate while there's some empty seats at the table. And no, this is not because Jesus is like, you know, prima donna and he's like, I will not preach unless it is a full room. It's not that at all. Jesus knows the freedom, the healing, the provision, the joy, the purpose. He knows everything that's available around his table. And every single one of those seats represents a person that needs what is only available around his table. And so the reason he is dissatisfied is because he knows that someone else needs to be there. So he looks at the servant and he says, this is unacceptable. I'm not going to start this thing until every seat is filled. So I want you to go back out. I want you to find the poor, the blind, the crippled, the lame, all of those people who think that they don't belong at the table. I want you to find them and I want you to bring them back to the house. And if there's still room at the table, we're not done yet. You go back out there and you find anybody who's willing to make their way to the table. And once this place is full, then we'll get this party started. Jesus is all about the house being filled with the people that need to be there. Now, I want us to notice something in this story, something that's very important if we're going to apply this text correctly. Again, notice something that Jesus did not say to the servant. He did not say to the servant, hey, you know what? I'm so glad you're here and these people are here. Why don't you just sit back and relax? Enjoy the spread, the provisions that I have made for you. You sit back, drink deep, enjoy the food. I, the master, will go out and I will find the other people that need to be sitting at the table. He did not say, I'm gonna chase down those that belong in the house and bring them to the house. No, he entrusted that responsibility to the servant. Romans chapter 10, verse nine, a scripture that we talk about often here and it comes up on the screen often. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Anyone heard that one before? You know, it doesn't end there, right? The verse goes on to say in, in 13, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord is gonna be saved. But how will they call upon him unless they believe in him? And how will they believe in him unless somebody goes and tells them? And how will anybody go and tell them unless they are sent? Therefore, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Who do you think that verse is talking about? Not Jesus, not the master. Whose feet? Whose servant? Who's the master? It's us. How will they believe unless there's some servants that are willing to go out and tell people that there is a seat at the table available to them? The father sent the son, but hey, the son now sends his servants to go do his bidding and be the invitation. John 20, 21, as the father has sent me, so now I am sending you. And in the same way that Jesus chased down prostitutes and tax collectors and disreputable people and the broken and the lame and the blind and everybody else that society had cast down, Jesus chased them down and brought him in. Now he says, I'm handing that baton off to my church and is the responsibility of the church to go into the highways and the byways and find the broken and the lame and the homeless and the poor and whoever is willing to come into the house so that they can experience the life that is found around my table. May we not become these insular Christians that think that the entirety of our faith is all about self-betterment becoming a better version of ourselves and sinning a little bit less and working on myself. Friends, that is not what Christianity is all about. 
This is not a game to see who can sin the least. This is about winning as many people for the cause of Christ as possible while there is still breath in our lungs. May we not get caught in that rat race of like sitting in the security of our salvation where there are people that are dying and on their way to an eternity without Christ in the ditches and the highways and the byways. May we be so obsessed with what the master has asked us to do that we say, I am going to be the servant that is sent, that goes out and does whatever it takes to bring the people that need to be seated at the king's table. That's our job. That's our job. And so to that end, let me ask you a second question. Who are you inviting? Who are you inviting? And, and that wording is very intentional because I think sometimes we overcomplicate this. Okay, well, you know, I don't know all the answers. And so, you know, I got to get my, my eschatology and my pneumatology and all my other ologies in, in, in order. And then I need to know all the Bible. And then I can tell somebody about Jesus. Stop. Let's not overcomplicate this. Let's be like the blind guy who said, I don't know who healed me. I think his name was Jesus, but why don't you come and meet a guy that changed my life? This is not complicated. I looked around the room at the first service and I look around the room at this service as well. And here's what I see. I see a whole bunch of people that would not be here had it not been for an invitation. A simple, hey, Jesus has changed my life. I don't know everything about him yet, but why don't you come and I'll introduce you to the same one that changed my life and maybe he'll do the same for you. It's literally that simple to be the invitation. Mark my words, the reason you know the people you know, the reason you work next to the people you work next to, the reason you interact with that, that mom or that dad when you drop your kid off at school, there's a purpose behind it. And I'm not saying everybody is an agenda, but I am saying everybody has a name on a seat that might be vacant right now, and they may need to be in the house because Jesus has already pulled out a chair for them. Who are you inviting? So, got lame excuse guy. We got the servant. Maybe there's still some of us in the room that would identify with the third, the replacement guest, as we called him. And as we consider this one, I'll invite the band to come so that we can conclude and I can go pick up my kid. Hallelujah. <laughs> number three, number three. I, I actually, I, I even hesitate to call it the replacement guest. I wish I had changed my notes and it said something else because I don't want anyone to feel like an afterthought. This is not a replacement guest because the first person said no and now there's room. This is actually, in scripture, it's pointing to the fact that the Jewish people rejected Christ and now there was space being made available to the Gentiles. But the Gentiles were not an afterthought to God. They were always people that had his heart. He always had a way to bring them into his family. But for the sake of the story, we'll call it the replacement guest. I want you to notice that Jesus does not tell his servant to go out and find people that are religiously put together, that have their act together, they're holy, they're sinless, living their lives right to fill the table. He's not looking for those that are already doing the stuff, that already love God to sit around his table. He tells his servant to find the blind, the poor, the crippled. Very, very intentional wording here. In their culture, these people that Jesus begins to rattle off as the replacement guests are people in their culture that would have never been invited to a banquet like this. In fact, they were people that most of the religious folks looked at and said, God has rejected them. Culturally speaking, their understanding was that when you were sick or when you were poor, it was God's way of repaying you for your sin. It was an outward expression to everybody watching that God was not pleased with you, that he had rejected you. And as a result of that, he was giving you this condition. 
And so when we talk about the broken, the lame, the poor, the blind, these are people that would have stood on the, set, on the corners and along the streets and begged for food. They would have never been invited into the table because if God's rejecting them, then there's no way I'm inviting them into my house. But Jesus says, the very people that you think I'm rejecting, come on, the very people that you think don't belong around the table are the ones that I came for. I did not come for those that were put together. I came for the broken. I came for those who need and know they need a savior. And, and I know that maybe most of us identified with those two, first two, but maybe there's some in the room today that would say, I, I feel like I identify with the highway and byway crew. The people that feel like they don't belong at the table with Christ. People that are so blind that they can't see how much Jesus loves them. They're so crippled that they can't make their way to God. They're so spiritually bankrupt that they don't know there's a space. And the Holy Spirit would say to you today, the reason that chair is empty is because your name was on it all along. There is a chair at the table for you that is being pulled out today. Will you take a seat? Will you sit among the king's sons and daughters? And will you accept my invitation? And, and if that's you this morning, as we conclude here in two seconds, I'm gonna invite you to take a seat. Pray a simple prayer with me. Invite Jesus into your life and to sit down among the brothers and sisters of Christ. It'll be the greatest decision you ever made. It'll change your life. Become a part of this family. And we'll tell you what to do from there. But if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, please do not miss this moment. Everyone bow your heads and close your eyes. If that's you today, if you would say, I am the highway and byway person, I'm far from Jesus and I need to come home. I'm gonna pray this prayer, but before I do, would you do me a favor and quickly lift up a hand and look up at me so I know who I'm praying with? Thank you. Got both of you guys back there. Oh, got you over there. Awesome. Yeah, right over there. Yeah, right there. Right there. Oh, up in the rafters. Yeah, there we go. Awesome. Come on. All right, I'm going to pray this. You just repeat it in your heart after me. Say, Jesus, today I'm sitting down. I'm finding my place at the table. I thank you for reserving a spot for me in your kingdom. I thank you for giving your life so that I could find life. Today, I, I decide consciously to follow you. I want to be your disciple. I want to walk in your ways from this day forward. Forgive me of my past. Help me to have a bright future in you. As I give you my life, I know that when I pass from this life into eternity, you're going to look me in the eyes and you're going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that has been set before you. You have all of me. And I thank you that I receive all of you in return. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, one more time. Can we just thank God for every person praying that prayer? Come on, we can do a little better than that. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.